Hola, hello. We're going to close out the season with reprise episodes. I'll be back in January with a new season. Thank you for your continued support and have a great rest of the year. I met Andrea early in my career. She was an IBCLC, an international board certified lactation consultant. I had a client who was struggling with breastfeeding and Andrea invited me to join the consultation and it was so informative. I was blown away. She was gentle and kind and warm and inviting and teaching in a way that was almost as if she was telling you a story. It did not feel like she was blaming or shaming the mom for not knowing these things. It really helped my career moving forward in how I spoke about breastfeeding. She is a gem, and I know you'll enjoy this episode. Don't forget to rate us five stars after you listen to this episode, and please share this with a couple of people. It helps our community grow. Bienvenido and welcome to the Clear Birth Podcast. Today we have Andrea Sims-Brown with us, who is an international board-certified lactation consultant in private practice. Born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, she is very well-established and highly regarded in New York City, having been an independent newborn care specialist for over three decades and in private practice as an IBCLC for 20 years and a certified infant massage instructor for 12 years. Andrea has served as both president and education director of the New York Lactation Consultant Association. She is the founder of Baby in the Family, LLC, which offers popular prenatal education workshops online and in-group sessions around New York City for almost two decades. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for being part of my podcast. Well, thank you. Muchas gracias. That's as much fun as I can say not without embarrassing myself. So thank you, Annette. Oh, I'm grateful you asked me to be here today. Oh, no, wonderful. I just want to talk about, you know, your career and just let people know about you and the wonderful work that you've been doing um, in New York City. And that's how we met. I met at a lactation consult, consult with a client and I was like, she's amazing. And this was over, this must be about 10 years ago now. Yeah. 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 yeah the good old days. The good old days. We could all walk around and embrace each other. Yeah, exactly. And, and speaking of that, how are you ha- holding up during COVID? I'm a homebody, so this is fine for me. I mean, it's a little crazy when I go out and people try to come up to me and say, hey, I haven't seen you in so long and I have to go away, get away from me. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest part is not moving. You know, I'm a pretty yeah. active person and I hate exercising inside. I prefer walking. Yes, I'm I do a, too. I'm on the Caribbean. We walk the beach, yes, right? And exactly. So that's been the hardest part because I am eating everything in sight. Other than that, I'm fine. I'm with you on that eating everything. It's like snack time is all of the time. And I just have to like, okay, you really don't need another one of those. Right. Yes, you know, I've yeah. found- I found good ways to sort of fill my time. I love reading. I love watching movies. I love working. And I love sleeping. So I just take a nap. And it's so much better than eating. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely is. Well, I'm going to jump right in and just start. I wanted to ask you, like, what career did you want to do when you were in grade school, high school, and in college? That's a great question. I I always wanted to be a teacher. 
Oh. And I wanted to be a math teacher because I hope nobody from Trinidad is listening. I had the worst, worst math teachers in high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I always thought that I could do better than them. I said, oh, you know, if I were ever going to teach, I'm going to make sure that people understand every single concept in geometry and algebra rather than sort of fly through things. So I always wanted to be a teacher. That was it. So math. Math teacher. Yeah, math teacher. I always liked science and math. And my parents definitely, you know, we know what parents in the Caribbean are like. They're like, go yes, to school. West Indian parents. Um, do, go to school, become a doctor, a lawyer. You know, yes, the top three. Yes. Doctor, lawyer. My, my, my parents were always, be productive. Don't be a lump. Nobody likes a lump. So be productive. And I always thought, you know, being a math teacher would be the best thing because it would give that person that I'm teaching, that class, everything to move forward in life. And, you know, breastfeeding is yeah. the same thing. So it's kind of crossroads right there. Oh, yeah, exactly. So before you started doing this work, what did you do? Well, I'm embarrassed to say I was a banker. I was a terrible banker for a couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, I was was awful because, you know, I had the kind of job where you'd sort of entice people to take a loan. And I would always say, but you've got, you know, $350,000 in the bank. Why do you need to borrow 20 grand? The interest alone. And then they would come and say, no, you can't do that. How do you get a bonus if you don't sell (laughs) the loans? I did not last long, but before that, I mean, after that, I became a baby nurse. And oh. that just opened the world of birthing to me. I never wanted to be a mom. And so when I would hang out with new mothers, I, I could see them become this different person. And I mean, as a doula, I'm sure you see yeah. that all yeah. the time. Awesome. And it just pulled me in. It was not It was not the path that I had intended, but here I am. So how long were you a baby nurse before you decided to go further? I was a baby nurse from 1988, late, early, early 88. And then I became a um, IBCLC in 2000. And somewhere in the early 90s, early to mid 90s, I started to see that I had a stronger preference for my babies who were breastfed. No offense to the moms who were not breastfeeding, but, you know, Mm -hmm, as a baby nurse, mm -hmm. kind of like a mom. And I realized, wow, you know, the breast milk bomb, it's not so bad. I could, I could manage (laughs) other stuff. I would just be like, get this off of me. And Mm -hmm. my mother, who's a huge breast milk and breastfeeding advocate in Trinidad and Tobago, said to me, you know, we don't really, we didn't raise you to be a baby nurse. Why don't you become a pediatrician? And they really pressed that button a lot. And so, um, because I was mostly interested in the science of human lactation, I started to read the study on my own. And so in 2000, I did the program out with um, Linda Smith, the amazing and wonderful Linda Smith in Ohio. And she said to me, you're going to pass, you're going to do beautifully, and I'm going to hear about you. And that year I took them and I passed on the first try. So tell me about a little bit about the training that was involved in becoming an IBCLC. Well, this was in the old days. Huh? This was 20 years ago when the IBC, IBLCE, the Board of Educators, were looking for people who were just interested in becoming lactation consultants. So mm-hmm. my training was on the job and I was supervised by a couple of pediatricians. And so they were able to sign off on my hours. And I think at that time the requirement was, let's say, 500 hours. And I had like 15,000 hours because I had worked with so many breastfeeding families that yes. a couple of pediatricians said to me, you know, you just need to know the labels for these things because you understand you, 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 we don't ever have to come in when the baby's being breastfed because you really have it covered, which I can kind of surprise them. And, uh, and so, you know, my hours were easily included. Mm-hmm. And so when I had to do the actual, um, theory, 
I did it for um, I did it with Linda Smith out in Ohio, in Dayton, Ohio. Now things have changed, no? Because oh, they, you know, there were different pathways at the time, and I was lucky that I, you know, was trying to qualify at a time where it wasn't as um, confusing as it is now, and you know, we didn't come yeah. down seconds. I find that the young people who become IBCLCs now, you know, they spend an enormous amount of time and money learning about something that I consider to be an ancient art that should be open to yeah. everyone, and that's a whole other yeah. conversation. But that's my pet peeve, you know, the people. The interns that I've worked with, I've never charged anybody because I don't feel it's something that we need to charge people to to pass on this knowledge. I'm 55. You know, at some point I'm going to be dead. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I want people to understand the technique of natural breastfeeding, which is the – that's my soapbox, no pillows, nothing. Okay. What your grandparents. Yes, exactly. So that used to, that was fascinating that you said – that now there's this new barrier, there's this new entryway where people are charging to learn to the information that they know so that they can pass it along. And that to me seems like it would be a barrier to entry for most folks, no? Well, they I say particularly people of color, right? Um, you know, most, yes. of, most women who go into this field are either mothers themselves or yes. have come through some kind of birding industry. You know, they're doulas, mm -hmm. they're baby nurses, and they've worked. And so now we're asking them to learn, not work as many hours, and pay for this, which, you know, I'm not saying it's bad for other people, but for my world, I don't see the need to charge. I think it's way too much of a visceral or a basic activity that we pass along. I mean, the stuff in books we have to pay to learn. I understand that. Yeah. But to sit mm -hmm. and observe me work with a nursing mom and understand how this baby needs to react to just to be fed, which is so basic. You know, I, I, I never charge people for that. Yeah. That's wonderful to know. That's good that, you know, because I hear that the, the, the cost of it can be pretty expensive for what people, some people are charging upwards of $10,000 just to do that. This girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Well, you heard it first here. Andrea doesn't charge, but don't take advantage. I do I do feel that there should be some kind of reciprocation for the work. If you're offering someone those hours, there should be something that they're offering you. You know, but I do appreciate the understanding of not not charging because then you're allowing more people to come in and do this work, which is beautiful, which is true. Like you said, to, to be a doula and work the hours that we work and then to try to do this. And what I think the requirements now is 5,000 hours or something like that. You have to have 5,000 hours before you can fully finish your training. And that's a lot of hours to work and not counted in minutes. And minutes. It's counted in minutes, right? And there's specific yeah. things that count and there are other things that don't count. But I will say, you know, the people that I have um, brought in as interns, uh, you know, when I was 12 years old, my best friend said to me, you know, you and I get along, and she's still my best friend, get along really well because we're not stupid. And I remember thinking, I was pretty stupid at the time, and I was thinking, wow, she must know something about me. But it turns out what she was trying to say is, you know, people who are curious and interested I gravitate towards them. And so when I bring in, you know, a, a whole bunch of interns, they, the ones who are not that curious and interested tend to fall by the wayside. And the ones who are sharp and acute and looking and listening are the people that I tend to say, okay, you need to come with me and see this. You know, so there's a huge, uh, there's, there's a filter 
that people have to go through if they're going to be working with most of my colleagues or me. And mine is never, ever, ever um, financial. It's all about this. So you mentioned the training and the hours. What was the exam like? Right. You know, what I what I appreciate about the IBLCE program is that they try to make it very well-rounded, right? So there's biochemistry, there is toxicology, all the stuff that I'm really into, biology, of course, Mm -hmm. chemistry, that kind of stuff. But there's also a side where they ask us to sort of have compassion, right? And be gentle and be kind. Big part of being a good lactation, one of the best lactation consultants is being a really good listener. You know, when I work with people, I say to them, no talking, just observe and listen. You know, doulas become the best lactation consultants because you ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure there's some male doulas, I don't know, are tuned into what mom is feeling without her having to say that. And I have to say to the doula, okay, now I want you to bring that to the baby because mom Mm -hmm. is going to feel what she's feeling, but let's as far as I'm concerned, the focus should always be on the baby because the baby's the one who's got to eat. And if yeah. babies, um, if we focus on the baby's concerns, things tend to go really well. And moms, of course, appreciate that. So, yeah. you know, the stuff that was on the exam is very well-rounded in the science, but also the human aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. So anybody who wants to become a lactation consultant You know, you do need to have some science background, but if you're Mm -hmm. not a kind person or a gentle person or you don't have the ability to be be kind or gentle, become a banker, become a lawyer. (laughs) It is what it is. Absolutely. It takes that out of you. And if you can't find that way to emote with somebody, I've never been a mom. I, I tell people straight up, I don't want to be a mom. I get it. But it's easy for me to mother somebody, you know what I mean? And that's why I call my company Baby in the Family, because it's a play on words. I'm babying the family, not just as a baby, you know what I mean, or the mom. And so, you know, in terms of what's in the exam, to to be more specific, it's a lot of science. But nothing to be turned off of, because it's a science of this, and it's a science of that. And then after that, there's some other stuff, but it's easy. It's not that hard. So what do you wish that you were told before you started this work? You know, I think I went into it with open eyes, Annette, because as a baby nurse, I was a baby nurse for all those years from the late 80s into 2000. And I still do some nights here and there for people. Um, I observed how lactation consultants would come into my clients' homes and make an attempt to sort of make suggestions. And I wish that I could go back in time and say to these people, you know, don't talk so much, just listen. So I came to this and I and I say this with really all the empathy in the world, you know, um, it's it's not the hardest job in the world, but you do need to sort of be empathic, be vulnerable, be, be compassionate. And so I came in with that because of my background. Honestly, there's nothing, nothing has surprised me so far. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what are the biggest challenges that your that new moms are facing when it comes to breastfeeding? That's that's one of my favorite questions to answer. The number one thing that I think today's women feel is surprised by how vulnerable they become, right? I mean, yeah, they're worried about the supply and the nipples, and you could read that anyway. But the true secret is that these mothers look around the world and they're like, oh, my God, it's not just me. I have to care for this person. And that vulnerability and that limbic brain and, you know, becoming an animal, basically, Mm -hmm. is the thing that I think 
most mothers are surprised by and they need us in the birthing business to basically you know encompass them with tremendous amounts of love and empathy and compassion because this is what I think. I mean, I've never been a mom, like I said, but this is what I see works. You know, when I talk to anybody who's becoming a mom, I say to them, you know, what's in it for you? Yeah. What is this mothering thing going to be for you? And this is a pregnant person. Yeah. And then I ask them the same question after they become moms. And the answers are vastly different, vastly yeah. different. Because Can you share a mom? Yeah. I, you know, one of the, one of the things that sticks out to me is years ago when I was a baby nurse, um, I met somebody who was already a mother of one child and she had not breastfed successfully. And she hired me as a baby nurse because she was told by her friend who had a second child as well, this baby nurse is the best. She can help you with the breastfeeding. Don't worry about it. And she went on and had four, no, three more children after that. And every time she had a child, she would say to me, if it wasn't for you, I would not have had this food and this fourth child. The, oh, that's wonderful. The, and she'd had a lactation consultant with her first child. I'm not going to say who, right? And she, and this was not a woman of color. I mean, this was, you know, and she said to me, what you brought to me and the ability to sort of emote through this experience with me was not what I expected when you spoke to me when I was still pregnant. And, mm-hmm. and that was the difference. She was very mechanical. I want you to show me how to latch the baby and get him on a schedule and all of yes. that. And then when I showed up to be her night nurse, because I was doing just nights then, this is in the late 90s, she said, you know, what you brought in once that baby was born the person that I was was not the person that you met before when I was pregnant and she'd already been a mom, you know? So I think every woman is different to be Mm -hmm. honest. But the one thing that I see that's the underlying thread among all these new moms, even if they've had four children before is that rawness, that sense of being completely vulnerable. that often surprises them. Yes, I, I have to agree. I have to say I was a doula for four years before I came, became a mom to my son. And I know that the, the second he was born, my whole world shifted. And th- that experience in the beginning of uncertainty with breastfeeding and also experiencing raw nipples. And he went, he went the first eight days of his life without pooping. So the, I was, I was on edge and once we figured out, oh, we just needed to do something else, a little bit different. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, okay, that shift. And once that happened, it was like, I, if you said, eat this, drink that, do that. You're I was it. eating and drinking everything possible to make lactation happen. Like I, that was my job. It was my new job. You know, I had people in my life telling me that, oh, you know, you, you really should get some sleep. And I'm like, what? There's no such thing as sleep when you have a new baby. And if I need to, I was put on a really strict regimen. I was put on, I was told to pump, supplement, and nurse. And as you know, I was not given an end date. So I'm doing this endlessly. And then at one one morning at around three in the morning, I was teetering on the edge of my bed, just rocking and going, I'm going to lose my mind because I did not know what what, when was this going to stop? And then I said, yeah. I, I have to figure out what works for me, you know? And I really, like you said, honed in on that instinct of being a mother and going, okay, they told me to do this. That doesn't work. Let me figure out a schedule that did work. And I decided I was like, I'll pump all day and do all of the stuff I have to do all day. But at night I'm going to sleep and just nurse him. And from there, 
it it took it took me a while before my milk came in. I have to say, it took me about three months, but mm. I didn't. That was my only job that I had to do, and I did it. So it's like, and it it was. I had some consultants come in. Like I said, I had a consultant, and she told me this schedule, and then she disappeared. I'm so sorry about that. So, yeah, it, it it I went on this quest to figure out what to do afterwards. But I, I'd love to hear from you. Like, what do your services entail? When do people uh, contact you? Do they contact you before, during, after? What's the latest? Like, you've been called to help with breastfeeding. <laughs> I'll answer the last question first. Okay. What's <laughs> the latest that I've been called to help with breastfeeding? Three months in. Ooh, yeah. I, I want to tell you that story. I met this woman who was from mainland China. So I'm from the West Indies, so I don't call China, China. I call it yeah. mainland China. Yeah. And her pediatrician had recommended me because the pediatrician, of course, which is most of my clients come through pediatricians and obstetricians. And of course, I teach as well. But this this pediatrician said she speaks no Mandarin but she's going to help you get this child breastfed. And um, the woman herself was a student. Um, she was working on a PhD in something scientific, and she got me pregnant, and her entire family and support network was at home in China. Mm. And I showed up with my doll and me and, and my scale, and her husband spoke some English, and so, you know, we kind of mimed and, you know, sort of thing. And I, and I put the doll on my lap, and I said, just sit just put your baby like that and take your shirt off. And she did. And literally, Annette, in, within three minutes, this baby went like this and latched right on. Oh, and nobody, she was struggling wow. with a boppy pillow around her belly. And she was, was like, boppy. this, she was like this fat. So the boppy was like falling down. And I oh, said, oh, just pillow. get rid of that. Just sit her on her lap. And the baby literally looked at her breast, looked up at her mom and knew exactly what to do. You know, so people find me through my classes, through other clients, through their pediatricians, their obstetricians, and they will hire me from the time they get a pee on the stick positive, especially if it's a second or third time, all the way to, like I said, that sweet story of a three-month-old. Um, most times, especially nowadays with the pandemic, most people are hiring me right when they need me, mm -hmm. right? Because they come home and they're, they're not really in the in the space yet to sort of navigate the process of hiring somebody. So they're complaining to their best friend on their phone or they're talking to their mom and the mom says, Oh, you know what? Jake's friend had a baby and they had a lactation consultant who was great. Yes. Call who? And then there's this grapevine because mothers connect. Yes. Mothers connect. And I, I have a global practice. So I have clients in Australia and New Zealand mm -hmm. and Nepal mm -hmm. because these are relatives of clients here. Yes. And then they spread the word and then their neighbors and then their friend in another town. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of what I've built, um, the company that I've built and the work that I do, because my focus is all about getting what you want to happen, happen. So yes. clients say to me, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. And I say to them, well, close your eyes and just imagine what would your best case scenario be? And yes. that's what I'm going to help you achieve. So, you know, it's <laughs> Yeah, it works. So walk me through being a new mom. I come home. I had no doula. <laughs> I got minimal help in the hospital with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And it is my pediatrician has told me to pump to see how much I yield. And I should supplement with every feeding. Mm -hmm. And then she tells me. Right. And then she calls you. Yes. All right. And she calls me. And I, number one, I always say, okay, 
what once we once she decides to hire me, my first question is, okay, what do you want to have happen? Tell me yeah. what you want. And when I would show up at people's home, it was always, why am I here? Now I just go, okay, I understand what's happening because we all have these, you know, HIPAA compliant forms mm-hmm. online that they fill up. So I know the story beforehand, but I really want to get a sense of what this mom wants. And oftentimes she just wants to feed her ch- child. Yeah. She just wants to feed her child. That's it. Yeah. Could I just get rid of all of the noise? And often, oftentimes we can release half of the work that she's doing and let the baby do the work. So if a mom is in physical pain with nipple damage, you know, I'm going to help her guide that baby to latch deeply. So it's not so superficial and hurting mm-hmm. the nipples itself. And then we can decide from there whether or not we do need to continue with all the additional steps that she's been taking, like salting her nipples. And um, somebody said to me, I'm putting salt on it. And then I put the saran wrap on it. And then I put the blow dryer. And I was saran like, wrap? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, let's pretend that there's no electricity and there's no plastic. Like your grandmother or your great grandmother. Yeah. And yeah. I bring them back to their own ancestral experiences because, you know, not too off topic, but it turns out and the, and the evidence proves this, that our DNA carries the memory of our ancestors. Yes. Right. So that's not so out there anymore. And mm-hmm. so I often say to mothers, what did your great grandmother do? She didn't do any of this. Exactly. Right? She figured it out without my help. Exactly. Because she had your grandmother or your grandfather on her lap showing her what to do. And that's what we do. You know, most times we're doing much more work as women in general than we need to do. And as moms, that multiplies by itself, right? So if we can sort of just quiet the noise and bring mom and baby into that flow, you know, I swear to God, it sounds kind of hippie-like, but it really does make it it makes it sounds yes it makes sense and i think that people are are really concerned right because they are hearing your baby has to pee this many a times and your baby has to poop this many a times and this is what the poop looks like and if your baby loses 9% of its birth weight the first week then we have to work and do all of these things so it's just it's like you said the noise and it sounds like you take away that noise and say just focus on your baby and your baby's needs but what about the clients who are like I want to get back to my sleep like when do I put this baby <laughs> on a schedule and which to me is always heartbreaking but that that is the reality of our society yes we can tell people to slow down what is your advice for that right well you know back when I was a new lactation consultant I would say well let's get a sleep consultant and I even did some sleep consulting myself Um, what I've learned is that babies need what babies need yes and you can say this is what I want and your two-day-old two-month-old, two-year-old, 12-year-old, 22-year-old, or 55-year-old is going to do exactly what she or he is designed to do, right? So oftentimes when mothers or parents in general, moms and moms or moms and dads or even dads and dads, they say to me, well, this is what we would like to have happen. And I go, well, okay, the, the, the first three things you said, we can do that. The last one, that's up to the kid. So have you had that conversation with them? A very flat about it you know i don't make big platitudes about 
anything. It's just look, you know, the baby size stomach is the size of a cotton ball. So good luck with that one. Yeah. You know, and I often push a lot of evidence. Like I'll say, well, you know, I'll say it like that. And then I'll follow up with an email with a lot of information about babies getting dehydrated at night because they're being forced to sleep. You know, I don't have yes. to say that. I go, well, read up on that. Here's some links to talk about that because, you know, it's not practical. Boom. That's all I say, because I'm yeah. not in the business, honestly, of convincing anybody to breastfeed or to not breastfeed, or to sleep train, or to not sleep train. I tell my clients, and anybody who knows me knows I say this to everybody, nobody can convince me to have children. So I'm not going to convince you to do anything that you don't want to do. But I'm going to give you the evidence, and then you can make an information. Tell you, nine out of ten of my clients are like, all right. Okay. I get it. (laughs) Yes. And I go along. And then years later, when, you know, that child is five or six, Mm-hmm. And the next child or the third child is born. They're like, remember when I thought that I could get him to sleep or get him to eat on, on a schedule? schedule. Yes. Yes. I tell no, people that's... all of, yes. I tell my clients all of the times, they say babies rule for a reason because they do. You can do just like labor. You can't make it happen. They will let you know when they are ready to come and they will come when they're ready to come. They don't know what a due date is. They don't have a calendar in there. They don't have a time, a clock. They're not on your OBGYN schedule. They're not ready. And so let him go camping. It's fine. We're here. We're good. Get a a midwife. (laughs) You know, it's, it's that it, it sounds to me that the biggest besides your information and the education that you're bringing, um, you're really allowing moms to open up and find a space to be comfortable with the decisions that they want to make. Do you find that that's the, the best practice? Like that's what you're bringing is like just giving them the space to say, I want to do X or I don't like there's some moms who don't want to breastfeed, but, are being told it's that so they should breastfeed because oh, it's good honey. for the baby. And it goes against, we don't know what kind of trauma they've experienced or they're carrying and they just can't. So it sounds like you give them to permission to say, no, I really don't want to do this. And how do I do I, it some other way? You know, you said something a few minutes back. You said, my instinct kicked in at three o'clock in the morning. And that's when your ancestors are talking yes. to you. That's when your DNA is rubbing its yes. hands together and going, girl, what the hell are you doing? You're doing, exactly. Right? Um, exactly. You're right. You know, I think in this, in this day and age, every individual should have a choice to do as she or he wishes, as long as you're not harming anybody else. And most human beings always, I should say, most human beings want to do the best for themselves and for their descendants. So I hardly ever have to convince somebody to breastfeed uh, or provide their milk to their baby. But I have clients who are like, look, you know, okay, I'll tell you this. And probably as a doula, you know, this as a lactation consultant, as an IBCLC, one of the questions that I ask, and I know my colleagues ask is about sexual abuse in childhood, right? Domestic abuse in the home, even if it's emotional abuse, you know, that takes a toll on our being, on our and our ability to, to, to nurture, right? So yes. if I have a client who's like, my father raped me and my mother was an ass, excuse my French, then my thing is, well, what do you want to bring to this child? Exactly. You know, what do you, what do you feel as a mother? You want to, what do you, how do you want to express this? And the mothers who say to me, look, I want the milk, but I don't want this holding thing. 
My job is to help them produce as much milk as possible so that baby never has to have donor milk or, God forbid, corporate milk. Yes. You know what I mean? This woman wants to provide her milk, but she's not into the touch part. Cool. No problem. We'll figure it out. And I often say to them, we'll just try nuzzling once a day. What's nuzzling? Or just let him lick your nipple. That way, his DNA from his spit gets into your ducts and then you making the milk that he needs. And that often leads to, well, you know, we started nursing just once a day and it's not so bad. You know, it's the baby who runs the show, honey, not me. So Mm -hmm. if you want to make the milk, but you don't want to breastfeed, most of us women, no problem. We can do this. Yeah, that's amazing. And what about, what percentage would you say, because every mother especially my clients a lot of times will tell me, well, I don't know if I'm producing. Great. And, and I feel that there's this lack of education that happens about women's bodies and not understanding because a lot of times I tell them like, you start producing breast milk at four months of pregnancy. Are you aware? And they're like, no, I had no idea, but I don't feel anything. And it's like, yes, you're not supposed to feel it yet, but you notice the little yellow sticky at the end of your the day when you take off your bra, that's your milk. Like the the confidence that their bodies are doing the things that it needs to do to produce the milk. So when you have someone who comes to you and says, "How do I know my baby's getting enough?" What what advice do you give them? Well, you know, of course, we have the mechanical answer. Yes. That first mm-hmm. week, you need to have as many poops as your agent days, right? Yeah. So then there's always, you know, does your baby look really drunk? At the end of breastfeeding, do your breasts feel different? Do you see breasts leaking from the other side while he's nursing? Yes. Do you feel a little bit sleepy just about 30 minutes into the feeding? And usually as long as the answer is yes, I go, well, chances are you're doing fine. You know, the sleepy 30 to to 40 minutes into feeding is hormonal. Mm -hmm. So if a mom feels that, that's the baby's feeling that, she's feeling it. There's something happening. There's some magic between between these two humans and this dyad. Um, you know, unfortunately, though, we come back to the peas and poos because what goes in must come out. And does your appreciated when he's done? Does his belly look bigger? I often share pictures from, from my practice, actually, of babies hungry on the scale and you see their bellies kind of concave. And then when they're full, you see this little sack sticking out on the left side. And I tell you, you know, people are keen to that kind of information because it's visual. It's not mm-hmm. this thing beside the pieces and poos that, you know, that see his stomach, you know, sticking out there on the left side. That's great. That's great. That's those are great visual cues, right? Because we're not looking at our babies. Like I often tell moms, like, look at your baby. What is your baby saying? Because babies are born communicating and people really don't understand that. They don't speak English, but they are born communicating. It's like someone you're meeting someone who is deaf or mute. You would find a way to communicate with them. Your baby is communicating the same way. And I find that at times the biggest concerns that moms have after, okay, I'm feeding my baby is when do I introduce a bottle? What advice do you give for pumping and introducing a bottle? Well, what's the bottle for? That's always my question. Who's doing the bottle again? Oh, okay. Your partner wants to get involved because he feels like he or she feels like she's outside. Tell them. (laughs) There are feet to be rubbed. But, you know, to to, to (laughs) specifically answer that question about bottles. (laughs) But I do go off on that sort of trip with them. And I go, you know, feeding is just one thing. 
We yes. need to diaper this kid. We need to bathe him. We need to get him dressed, undressed. We need to soothe him. We need to give him snuggles. In some ways, I'm very by the book as an IBCLC. And in other ways, I'm just like, I don't need to take that part on. But the by the book part about waiting for breastfeeding to be as, as well established, that is important because it's the baby's perspective. Always the baby's perspective. That's a great way to look at things and a great way to give advice because... I think a lot of times parents are thinking of themselves or, or thinking, oh, yes, there, there is a baby, but not really focusing on the baby. Whereas if they just slow down, like I, I, I understand we're in COVID and all and everyone is concerned about being in the homes. But I also think about all of those families that are those new moms that are, are really being forced now to stay home and be with their babies and don't have to worry about rushing to get back to work at 16 weeks or 18 weeks or 12 weeks and now have that extra time and the luxury and the gift it is of really of having a true postpartum period, um, which is something we don't have really in this country as a true postpartum. And what do you find is like the greatest support to the mom outside of hiring an IBCLC? Like, what do you tell the dads in the sense of like we talked about a little bit of, oh, what can I do? I want to be able to feed the baby like the baby won't eat for the rest of his life. But that's another story. But like, I want to feed the baby. How can I help? How can I be involved in this process? You know, any partner that wants to be involved, I, I give them credit. I want to hear from that partner because that's the person who's in it with you, right? In the trenches. My thing is, what are your strengths? Or you want to feed that baby. Okay, what else is there that you can do that doesn't include feeding the baby? I listen to everything. And then once they're ready to do the actual feeding, I go, okay, well, you're in charge of washing the pump parts because she's got a hand express or machine express that milk out of her body. And you're in charge of making sure that baby is, is drinking from this bottle comfortably. So I teach dads how, I shouldn't say dads, I teach partners how to do uh, paste bottle feeding. Because yes. if, you're, yes. if you've got a partner who's like going to do the groceries and take care of the baby, I say, let that person yes. do it. So mm-hmm. rather than go, well, no, you can't do that. I go, if she's cool with it, I'm cool with it. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and you know, bless their hearts. Most partners just want to be involved, right? Mm-hmm. Especially for a breastfeeding family. You know, there's so much cuddling involved that I often go, well, once that baby's belly's full, you're up. Because that baby's need to be held upright for at least 20 minutes yeah. before you put him or her on his back. So guess what? You're the snuggle bunny for us. So, and they love that. You know, I, I get lots of pictures of partners wearing their newborns, yes. either in one of those kangaroo t-shirts in mm-hmm. the pocket yeah, pop- yes. um, or, or in a carrier and just looking at their computer or looking out the window or, you know, having a, a, a cold drink, as I always say, no hot coffee or, you know, on their phones or watching TV. Cause I say to them, don't feel guilty if that baby's in there asleep and you need to do other things. You don't have to focus on this person. Because yeah. they're not focused on you. They're just happy yeah. for the heartbeat and the snuggles. Mm-hmm. And they know that your dad or your other mommy, oh, you know, getting them incredible. involved is key. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. That's really great advice. That's really, that is really a good way to, to have partners look at it because everyone's always talking about the feeding and it's, it's, it's like the, your baby is going to eat forever. 
you know, this is just one <laughs> small way. period of time that you won't be able to feed your baby. So right. it's great to find ways to get them involved in other in, in other ways that helps them through and, and to give them that advice to make them see that there are other ways other than that, because that's all everyone's ever concerned about. It's like, how's the baby sleeping? And how is and who's eat, feeding the baby? And when are you going to feed the baby? It, and it's it's like the baby sleeps like a baby. Like, and the baby <laughs> eats, exactly, exactly. Right. So right. there's not much more to talk about other than that. But yeah, that's really great advice. And, and it, it, I, I think, I think Annette, it is, it is valid to validate the feelings of a partner yeah. because this person is in the trenches with his or her partner. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I do a consultation, whether it is in home or nowadays, and, and, and just so you know, my company is 100% virtual now and will always be, um, it's always going to be online. I always make the appointment so that both partners can be present. Or you're at your, you're at your mother's house, make sure your mother is there too. Your mother-in-law is there too. Bring her in. It's a team. Right. Yeah. It's a family mm-hmm. and this leads to a family. So why not involve the family? I love yeah. that. Exactly. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom and and all of these gems that you gave me today. I have another segment that I like to call daily inspiration and I will ask like two questions and whatever comes to mind first, like what's what book, film, show or podcast that is inspiring you right now? Ha. <laughs> okay, well, I, I don't want to lie. <laughs> no, you don't have to lie. Tell the truth. No judgments. Oh, God, every podcast that I listen to, and including this one, probably, I'm going to be asleep in like 10 minutes. <laughs> if anybody's talking for more than three or four minutes, I people have bought me audiobooks, uh-huh. and they're like, oh, my God, you're going to love this. This is going to keep you awake. <clears throat> I'm asleep in five minutes because I'm not that good at listening in that format. So for me, what I'm really into these days, I'm watching all of these old movies like yesterday. Was it today? It's our last track. I watched this movie called Julie. It's an old Alfred Hitchcock movie. And I watch Rope, old Alfred Hitchcock movie. There's a theme. I love all the old old movies. So that's the stuff that inspires me because I realize that we've come a long way as women. Right. I've been watching yes. Hollywood yeah. movies, movies out of um, Nigeria. And I look at, you know, how culturally, how we treat women differently yes. around the world. Around so the world. I'm kind of boring, but that's my inspiration these days. That's, that's not boring at all. That's yes. not boring at all. And is there a quote or um, that inspires you every day or a quote that that motivates you that you think about? It's one word. One word. What's that? Breathe. 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 You know, there are all of these like, oh, you know, um, watch where you're doing. And, you know, I can't even think of anything. But every Uh time I think of anything that stresses me, my mother would say to me all my life, Andra, which is how my name is actually pronounced, Andra, just breathe. Breathe, Breathe. just breathe. And so if I have to tell anybody, I just say to them, honey, just breathe. You know, because that's what you are. You're a breathing being. And everything Mm -hmm. is laid on top of that. And, you know, as you know, as we age as women, that kind of wisdom just sort of gets into your being. And it's easy to share it. If I were 25 and I said to somebody, oh, just breathe, they'd be like, get the hell out of here, lady. (laughs) At 55, I can get away with that kind of stuff. That's (laughs) That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that as well. It, It is true. Sometimes when at the heart of everything, you just have to take Take a moment and just take a deep breath and just let everything go. So breathing is really inspirational. It brings, you, it brings us back it brings to the back center, center of our being. 
Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And so I want to ask um, about a birth story. And this is a segment where I would usually ask a client if they have a child. And we know you don't have a child, but you did share with me earlier that your mother shared your birth story. And I would love for you to share with us. Okay. Sure. Well, let me tell you, first of all, I have no children. And when I was three, my mother said to me that when I was three, I met one of my cousin's children. And when I came home, she goes, what did you think about the baby? And my first word was yuck. (laughs) And she said, why did you, why did you, I said, why did I say that? She goes, I don't know, but all your life growing up until you left home at 20, she goes, you know, people would have babies and you'd be like, we'll see that baby whenever. Not my scene. I didn't like dolls. I liked um, trucks and cars. And I really, really was into heavy equipment, you know, like construction Mm -hmm. stuff. And I like stuffed animals and I made stuffed animals. When I asked my mother about my own birth story, here's how it went. I felt a strange sensation in my belly. I'm the third of three. She goes, and I said to you then, don't come because it's going to be Christmas. Could you wait until after Christmas? And she goes, and you kicked me. And immediately my water broke and it was the 22nd of December. (laughs) She said, and I just made it to the hospital. And they said, the nursing home, and they said, this baby's coming right now. You're fully dilated. And she said, and you were born 10 minutes later. She said, so the last thing I asked you to do, you did not do. (laughs) Which is, could you wait till, just wait till after Christmas. I have, she had two children. She had toddlers. You know, my my siblings are three years older than me. And she was in the middle of preparing for Christmas. And, you know, she and Christmas in Trinidad in the holidays is a big deal. The house has to be perfect. Family is coming into town. Everything, all the food has to be brought. Yes, everything, everything. So you didn't listen then either. She said, I gave her one swift kick and she said, and that's how she knew. She's like, this one, this is going to be the most difficult child. But interestingly enough, when my mother got pregnant with me, all the medical advice at the time that was given to her was abort this pregnancy. It is going to kill you. She'd had surgery and um, they had said to her, you cannot get pregnant, get pregnant for a year. And she got pregnant like a month after she recovered from the surgery, major surgery, where they literally zip you down. This is the West Seas and the Mm -hmm. 60s. And the doctor kept saying, but there's no room for her to grow. You know, this incision is going to pop. And my mother, being very, very religious, she said, you know, if it's meant to be and I have to die, so be it. So the entire pregnancy, we would have these conversations, she said. Um, She would say to me, well, if you're going to kill me, don't kill me today because I got to clean this. And I got (laughs) to So kill me tomorrow. Yes, yes. I was convinced that when she said to me, when she felt that, what she knew was the beginning of labor, she said when she felt that sensation, she'd had two children. She's like, oh, uh, gosh, please, could you just wait till the 26th? <laughs> she goes, and that swift kick, boom, she got like, no. the nursing no. home and said, that's it, this child is coming now. And I was born um, at 12.23 on December 23rd. Oh, 64. that is a great story. That is a wonderful story. Thank and, you. You know, I breastfed for four years. I Well, I, I also, yes, went on to my, I grew up hearing stories. My grandmother breastfed her first child until she was five. So that was the story I always heard. And I went on to breastfeed my son until he was two months shy of his fourth birthday. So when people say, oh, when do I? I'm like, don't talk to me because I had a whole toddler. So I was like, I did it for a long time and it was great. 
It was wonderful. I'm yes. glad you did, and it's up to the baby. I it, it really, yes. I, I actually stopped. He did not want to stop. He he <laughs> he did not want to stop. I was ready. I was just like, you know, and it took me a whole year to kind of wean him. And we had conversations about it, and he was very upset every time I mentioned it. Like, he would cradle my breasts and be like, no. And he used to call them Amis, which in French is friends. And I was friends. like... Yeah, so he was like, "No, not my Amis." So, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. so sweet. It was really well, sweet. You know, whenever I see my mother now, especially if she just stepped out of the shower, I always go over and I put my head right there. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She and she puts her hand. <laughs> yes, it's it's you know the connection. It's a very <laughs> sweet and special connection, and I think that I think now with breastfeeding, it's coming back around, and people are starting to see it as more of a normal thing. Like breasts are for breastfeeding, and I and I feel that people are feeling more comfortable feeding longer. And now that, you know, there's a big push for people to breastfeed and breastfeed in public and that it's okay. I think it's, it's, we're going to create a whole new society around, you know, babies who have been breastfed for longer and also nurtured because it's, it's not just about feeding. It's not just about food. It's about the nurturing. It's the comfort. It's the relationship. It's the closeness that it's that bond. It's that time that you have. So yes. Thank you so much. Yes. Connection. It was always connection because it changed. I noticed that too at times when he was older, it wasn't about he wanted milk. It was that he wanted something else and he knew that that would bring him close. So we had to talk about, no, we don't want that. You want this. So yes, it is. It is just tuning in. Thank I you so much. You for Thank you. Child for what's considered an extended period of time, because we often say to mom, shame them and say, you don't yes. keep your thing. Yes. So I applaud you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I worked really hard. I was like, I'm going to do this until the wheels fall off. And I did. Thank you so much. Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and your time. I really appreciate it and appreciate you. Thank you for being on my podcast. It means the world to me to have you on and to share your wisdom. Oh. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate your trust in my ability to not say a bad word on camera. <laughs> Even if you did, it's okay. It's a podcast. It's, I said you know, one. I, I said one. And it's, that's okay. My mom was like, please don't curse. Please don't say any bad words. People <laughs> all over the world are going to hear this. But thank you. You know, the, the, the conversation continues with yes. everybody in this business and this world. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending that time with me. Thank you for listening. I would appreciate it if you would leave a review and rate the podcast five stars. It helps other people find the podcast. Please check the show notes for resources from this episode. I love to hear from you and will read your review on a future episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can also send me an email at clearbirthpodcast at gmail.com. Happy birthing. This podcast was edited and managed by Wordy Productions.